0: (laughs) well as you know we're in a series as a church called who we are who we are as a church family and the first week Carson kicked it off excellently with just reminding us of the height and depth and breadth and width of God's love for us that he first loved us and then last week Out of that abundant love that God has for us, we are to love God in return. That's our natural response to God's love for us. And as we were uh, talking about this series, Carson and I got together. He knew I would be preaching the third of this series. And we just wanted to make sure there was cohesion and connectedness to to the sermon series. Uh, We knew it was going to be more of a topical series, but yet it was going to be scripture-driven We knew that we were gonna have a major pillar and then several values that came out of those. And so we wanted that to be a cohesive set together. But then last week he did something interesting. He broke out in song. Now Carson can sing, I cannot sing. All right, he grew up in the church, he knows all these hymns, they just flow out of him. I was not raised in the church, I was raised on hip hop, But just so there's cohesion amongst the sermon series, I thought I'd give it a try. Shelly is really nervous right now. She did not know I was gonna do this. And and y'all sing along with Carson so you can sing along with me. Here we go. All right, stop, collaborate and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. Yes. All right. We should pray. (laughs) God, I do pray that by your mercy and your grace that your Holy Spirit would preach a better sermon than the one I'm about to preach. That, Lord, you would move us by your word and by your spirit, transform us as a church family. We pray in Christ's name, amen. If you're older than 50 years old or you paid attention in high school history class, you'll remember that in the 60s, we were in what was called the Great Space Race as a country, a race against the former Soviet Union. And it was a race to see who would be the first country to land a man on the moon. Well, the beginning of 1969, we were getting really cr- close. And so NASA decided to hold a press conference at uh, Houston, Texas, at the command center there. But for some reason, the scientists were delayed a bit. And while waiting on this all-important press conference, uh, one of the reporters decided that he would film some B-footage. So back then, he had a big camera guy, right, carrying the big camera around. And he started walking around the halls of NASA and as they were walking on the halls, up came a janitor pushing a broom towards them. And he said, ah, let's interview him. So the story goes that he walked up to the janitor, put the big microphone in his face, and said, what do you do here at NASA? And so the janitor leaned on his broom, thought for a moment, and then looked directly into the camera and said, I help put men on the moon. Wow, could his answer have been any better? I help put men on the moon. This entry level employee, this low man on the totem pole, if you will, understood how his part contributed to the larger mission of NASA. He didn't say, I sweep the floors. He didn't say, I take out the trash. He didn't say, I clean nasty toilets. No, he said, I helped put men on the moon. He saw how his parts contributed to the overall mission of an organization like NASA. This is why mission statements can be so valuable because they get a diverse group of people together with differing backgrounds, educations, skill sets and positions and direct them towards a common unified goal, a singular mission. Listen to how this is described. The importance of this is described in a passage like Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So, having a unified vision is more essential than we even realize. And if a unifying mission is important for organizations like NASA, as important as a mission as they were on, how important are they for the church? The for the family of God. For the mission is not to land a few men on the moon, but to see as many men and women as possible land in the kingdom of God for all eternity. For this truly is the giant leap for all mankind. Now last month, Shelley and I had the privilege of visiting our son Hunter and his wife Priscilla and our two granddaughters in Cambodia and while we were there, our granddaughter, Marjorie, who is only three years old, shared this with us. Watch this short video of our three-year-old granddaughter, Marjorie.
1: We are Christians. Yahweh is our God. Jesus is our King. Jesus loves us and made us in His image. We will follow Jesus and seek first His kingdom. We will bear our lives on the Gospel and the Word of God. We'll trust Him and obey Him. We'll love God with all our lives. We'll also love each other. we we'll consider each other as more important than the face as least we important. We'll be generous and ready to share. We'll do what is right and be humble to God. We'll always forgive each other and will listen to wisdom and walk with We'll not seek comfort or shy away from adversity. We will be content at all times, We to and thankfulness. We are Masons, and we will
0: do our part to spread the grandpian pieces. We will- <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, that's just super cute, right? <laughs> our sweet little granddaughter has been taught this Mason family mantra ever since she could speak. Mantras are simply phrases or statements that are often repeated and express something that a group of people believe in. You see, our son and daughter-in-law prayerfully and painstakingly spent hours and hours carefully articulating what they believed as a family, what their family was to be about, and how that should direct every aspect of their lives. They didn't only want to know that themselves, but deeply desired for their children to know it from the youngest of ages, for they want their family to be on mission together as a family unit. Church, whether you call it a mission statement or a mantra or whatever, who we are and what we are about needs to be known and embraced by every person who calls North Wake home, by every person in this church family. From the scientist to the janitor, from the adults to the three-year-olds, from the newest member of the church to the most tenured. And the goal is not that it would simply be memorized or regurgitated robotically, but that it would inform and transform every aspect of the way that we live and what we live for. That it would impact every thought that we have, every word that we speak, every emotion we feel, and every action we take from our people to our ministries so that all of us are hitting the bullseye of the target. For as Carson mentioned at the beginning of our series, North Wake Church exists to know the love of God in Jesus Christ and to grow in love for one another and to go in love to our neighbors near and far. This is our mission, this is our mantra Will you allow it to impact every thought you have, every word you speak, every emotion you feel, and every action that you take? Will you faithfully and wholeheartedly participate in this mission together with us and every person doing this in this room? We want to unpack this together And as we seek to do this, we're seeking to be unified around this common goal. Now, last Sunday, Carson's key passage was Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 and 38. So let's read those again to bridge our talks. Jesus was asked, and they said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And so Carson encouraged us to love God in response to God's great love for us. And rightly so. We love because he first loved us. But I want you to notice something. Jesus does not hit the pause button here. He does not stop his answer here. No, he continues his answer in verse 39 with this. Without stopping, he says, In a second it's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says that not only are we to love God in response to his great love for us, but that we are to love one another in response to his great love for us. And that our love for God cannot be separated from our love of others. They are entangled realities. They're a package deal. A package that he says, that the whole Old Testament depends upon. All 613 commands, if you will, are fulfilled in these two. So in line with Jesus' teaching, we look at the second section of our mission statement. To grow in love for one another. Listen to how the Apostle John puts it in these two passages. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 10. And this is love... Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, though, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then John writes this, Jesus' words. Jesus says, a new command I give you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the main point this morning is that because God has so radically loved us, we love one another. The family of God here at North Wake ought to love one another with the same type of love by which we have been loved in and by Christ Jesus. Everyone who calls North Wake home, that is a part of this church family, ought to experience God's love flowing to them through one another. I want to note a couple things that flow from these two passages and then we'll unpack what those means tangibly for us as a church family. The first thing I want us to note is that as recipients of God's love, we become conduits of his love. We're all familiar with dams, right? Dams are simply man-made structures that impede that which would naturally flow freely. Church, when we don't love one another when the church becomes an event that we go to rather than a family that we enjoy, when we say unkind things about the church family or one another, when we are harsh to others, whether in person or on social media, when we allow resentment and bitterness to fester instead of pursuing reconciliation, when we don't seek opportunities to encourage, care for, and minister to, all these tangible things that love moves us to do, we damn up. God's love and we were not redeemed to be a dam but a conduit instead of a dam we were to be this it's the world's largest super soaker designed by a former NASA scientist you see my theme here NASA's a big deal you and I were redeemed to super soak if you will each other with God's love Not sprinkle it, not drip it, not splash it, but open up the floodgates and lavishly love one another. You see, when we understand, when we truly understand how much God has loved us, it naturally leads us to a deep love for the family of God. So, do you love others in this church family lavishly? Do you open up the floodgates of love or do you dam it up? What would it look like for you to begin loving the church people the way God loves you? Second thing I want to notice, as we become conduits of God's love, his love is perfected in us. Listen to how one writer puts it. This means that as we love one another, God's love reaches its full effect in and among our lives. Does not suggest that he is perfected or that his love is lacking. John Stott says it well when he writes this. Mutual Christian love is the evidence that the unseen God who was once revealed in the Son is now revealed in his people. When they love one another. So will you allow God's love to be perfected, to reach its full effect by truly loving each and every person in this church family? Will you reveal God through your love for one another? And then thirdly, as we love God the way that Jesus loves us, the world will know that we are his followers. How many of your lost family, friends, coworkers, neighbors would know that you are a follower of Christ simply by listening how you speak about your church, about your brothers and sisters in Christ? How many of them would know by watching how you tangibly love one another and serve one another and treat one another? Would they know or do they know that you are a Christian just because you told them you were a Christian? Or would they know it even if you had never told them? You see, they will know that you are Jesus' disciples by your love for one another. So church family, because God first and extravagantly loved us, we love one another. We are an authentic community of faith. And then listen to this and read this on the screen behind me. This is our pillar for this morning. is love for one another, an authentic community. Knowing the love of God naturally leads to love for the family of God, the church. Jesus said that it is by our love for one another that we show ourselves to be his true followers and validate our faith to a watching world. We believe every member of Christ's church is uniquely gifted by the Spirit to serve God, Minister effectively and humbly to one another and so build up the church. So, now that we've laid this foundation for our love for one another, I want to look at four values that mark us as a church family and that are integral to our culture here at North Wake. You see, because we love one another, we prioritize relationships we prioritize relationships. We believe that relationships are what matter most in life. Indeed, our three-in-one triune God can himself be described as an eternally relational being at his very core. Because of that, we have defined our mission in terms of loving relationships, relationships with God, believers and non-believers. We strive to design our ministry structures to serve the development of relationships that grow true biblical community rather than having our relationships serve our ministry structures. The relationships that our church family prioritizes are rooted in the relationship that has been prioritized between the Father and the Son for all eternity past. Listen to the words... Of Jesus that highlight this reality in John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see the reality that our God is a triune God, one God, yet three persons, is the foundation for our relationships with one another. Listen to how the Apostle Paul communicates this reality and then connects it to our fellowship with one another. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Be with you all. Michael Reeves from Delighting in the Trinity writes this. It's so good. It's, it's a long quote, so it's on the screen. Single-person gods must, by definition, have spent eternity in absolute solitude. Before creation, having no other persons with whom they would commune, they must have been entirely alone. Love for others then cannot go very deep in them if they can go for eternity without it. How wonderfully different it is with the triune God. In John 17, 24, Jesus speaks of how the Father loved him even before the creation of the world. That is, the triune living God, a Father whose very being has eternally been about loving his Son, pouring out the spirit of love and life on him. Here is a God who is love, who is so full of life and blessing that for eternity he has been overflowing with it. Listen to this, the eternally beloved Son comes to share with us the very love that the Father has always lavished on Him. He comes to share with us and bring us into the life that is His, that we might be brought before the Most High, not just as forgiven sinners, but as dearly beloved children who share by the Spirit the Son's own Abba Christ. So what was God doing before he created everything? He was in a love triangle, not in, the, not in the negative sense, in the perfect sense. The Father was perfectly loving the Son, and the Son was perfectly loving the Father, and the Holy Spirit was being perfectly loved by them, and he was perfectly loving them in return. And then, as Michael Reeves rightly points out, humanity was created to share In that same love, we are brought into the same love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have enjoyed for all eternity past. This is why relationships are such a big deal to us. This is why we prioritize relationships. Church, have you ever thought of your love for one another in regards to the Father's love for the Son? The son's love for the spirit. How should your love for the church deepen as you realize that you were created to share this love that has existed for all eternity past. And then share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So church, this is our first value. We are a church family that values relationship. And then you'll see the second value that you will experience here is that we are a family. We are a family. Scripture says that God places the lonely in families and that the church is the family of God. We want to be a church marked by deep, sacrificial, familial affection for one another across life stages and demographics, single, married, parents, young, old. We want to share life and embody the joy of Jesus by spending glad time together as friends and family. If you haven't noticed, so much of who we are as a church reveals the triune God by whom we worship, and the reality that we are a family is no different. Our familial relationships begin with our relationship with God as Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And is rooted in our familial relationship with God the Son. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. And our familial relationship is guaranteed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And he has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And through the gospel, through our union and relationship with the triune God, Ephesians 2 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are a family and a wonderful family at that. We are the family of God. So Galatians 6.10 would say, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. But then listen to this. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm sure you've heard of the phrase that blood is thicker than water. It's a proverb that means familial bonds will always be stronger than other bonds. But I would argue that based on these scriptures and many, many, many more, that the gospel blood is even thicker than familial blood. That the gospel blood that binds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ is even thicker than biological blood. What if our love for one another at least begins to match the love that we have for our family? Do you love the church this way? Do you have the same loyalty to the people in this room that you do your children, your spouse, your parents, What would be a next step for you in cultivating this depth of affection and devotion for the church, for this family? Now, no family is perfect, and neither is the family of God. At some point, someone within the church family will let you down. They may hurt you. They may say something that you completely and passionately disagree with. They may simply talk about you behind your back. They may give you bad counsel. They may dismiss you. They may say one thing and do another. They may not care for, well for you in your moment of greatest need. It's bound to happen. The question is not will they let you down, but rather what will you do when they do? Because you see, in a biological family, you would bring it up with them. You would talk it through with them. And if that conversation doesn't go well, you would bring it up with them again. You would approach them several more times. You would admit any faults that you had that contributed and you would allow them time to acknowledge theirs. You would seek to reconcile with them because after all, they are family, right? To steal the title of a book, we do this because relationships are a mess worth making. Will it be messy? Yes. Of course. But it's worth it. Why? Because they're so lovable? Maybe. Maybe not. But we do it because we are imperfect. Yet we have been loved perfectly by God. And so we love the imperfect because He is worthy. Because we love one another. We prioritize relationships. We are a family, and then thirdly, we make disciples. We make disciples. We want to be a place where Christians are equipped to make disciples in their unique life context, to become mature and ministering worshipers of God. We also want to see disciple-making happen in the home with strong families that reflect the beauty of marriage and the privilege of parenting in keeping with Scripture's vision of family life. And yet, we also want to come alongside broken families with the grace of Christ and the support of our church family. We value our children and young people, affirming that investment in the next generation is critical. And we see the importance of this value for disciple-making for all followers of Christ in passages like Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust the faithful men who will also be able to teach others. We see the importance of discipling. Our next generation in passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So why do we value the things that we do as a church? Why do we have the ministry structures that we do? Listen to Colossians chapter one, verses 28 and 29. Him, Jesus, we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this we toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within us. So church family, are you toiling in the power of the Holy Spirit to make disciples? Who are you investing in so that they take their next step in maturity towards Christ? If asked, who would say that you are discipling them, mentoring them in the faith? What would be your next step in this disciple-making mission? You see, because we love one another, we make disciples. And this naturally leads to our fourth and final point today. Because we love one another, we share leadership. We share leadership. You see, Jesus is our ultimate leader. Under his direction, our church is overseen by a plurality of pastors, elders, for we believe that the church is far too precious a vessel to be piloted solely by the wisdom of one person. As servant leaders, our pastors, elders seek to lead our church gently And wisely with the support, affirmation, input, and cooperation of other leaders, both men and women, and the broader congregation. As a church, we share leadership amongst the elder team, and we share leadership amongst the congregation. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders. notice, Notice the plural there. I exhort the elders among you as because you who are younger, or excuse me, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As a church family, we all acknowledge and gladly submit to Jesus as our chief shepherd. This is Jesus's church, this is his family. The only solo pilot of this church is Jesus. And it is under His authority that we have men, a plurality of men, who serve as elders, under shepherds, who serve the church gladly, under the authority and leadership of Christ. We currently have 10 men who serve our church as elders and they are some of the best people that I know. I look up to and respect each and every one of them. They willingly and gladly shepherd. They do not lead in a domineering way. Rather, they are servant leaders and they lead by example. I am personally shepherded by them and I gladly submit to them. As elders, we need one another. Each other's perspectives, each other's wisdom, each other's prayers. You know, I'd encourage you this week to go to the church's website And click on leadership under the About Us tab. And pray for these men by name. I cannot tell you how much we need your prayers. And then also I encourage you to identify one of them and write them an encouraging note. See, your elders deeply love you. You're You're our church family. And we greatly appreciate your prayers and encouragement. But not only does our church family believe in the plurality of elders because we love one another, we also believe and value each person's unique gifts, experiences, trainings, personalities, and so we want to identify, to equip, and to empower each member in our congregation, each one of you, to do the work of ministry. To one another and out in your workplaces, neighborhoods, and spheres of influence. Here at North Wake, our pastors, elders, aren't the primary, or should I say, only ministers of the church. Every person who calls North Wake home is and should be a minister of the gospel. You are the ministers of North Wake. You are the disciple makers of our community. Listen to how this is put in Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 11 and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers why to equip the saints to equip the church for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of Of the fullness of Christ. Each and every one of God's people has been uniquely gifted by God with unique personalities, unique skills, education, training, gifts. And these were gifted to us all by God to be stewarded for the work of ministry, to help build up this church family, to help one another mature. To reach others in our community with the gospel and bring them in to the family of God. For the glory of God and for the expansion of his kingdom. So I'm going to address you as ministers of North Wake because that's who you are. So ministers of North Wake, how are you stewarding the gifts that you have been given? How are your unique gifts and talents and personality and skills being used to build others up in Christ? How are you, along with every other member of this church, helping others take their next step towards maturity in Christ? And as you consider what it means to be an authentic community here at Northwake, As we contemplate what it truly means to love one another because we have been loved so deeply by God. Let's look back at our four values from this morning. And as I reread these, I want you to prayerfully consider which one of these would God have me take my next step in? Which one do you sense has the greatest room for growth for you? What would be one personal, specific, practical step that you could take to grow in that area? And as you identify that, write it down. Share it with your grow group and a close friend. And pray daily that God's love would move you towards this depth of love for one another. Because we love one another, We prioritize relationships. We are a family. We make disciples. And we share leadership. Let's pray. God, we cannot help but thank you for your love for us. You have loved us so extravagantly. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You first set your affection upon us. And it's out of the overflow of the reality of the height and depth and breadth and width of your love for us that we love you and that we love others. So, Lord, now as a song is sung, help us to think how you would specifically have us grow in our affection for your bride, for your church, for the family here at North Wake. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.